Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Acts chapter 15 from verse 35 to chapter 16 and verse 5. It would be great if you could push pause on this video, open up your Bible, read through that section of it, and then come back. While you're doing that, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, or if anything that gets said along the way is helpful or encouraging or spurs you on in your journey and your relationship with Jesus Christ, won't you push the like button? So that's Acts chapter 15 from verse 35 to chapter 16 and verse 5, and we'll see you back here in just a moment. Friendship is the least natural of all loves. It is the least instinctive. It goes against the grain of everything in the world. C.S. Lewis wrote those words last century. And yet, one of the most precious and important aspects of life is friendship. Even Jesus speaks about our relationship with him in terms of a friendship. To have friends who love you and want the best for you, and who speak the truth to you, and who celebrate you, is a source of great joy and ongoing strength. In fact, the writer of the book of Proverbs uh, has much to say about the importance of friendships. The writer of Proverbs says in chapter 17, verse 7, that a friend loves at all times. He goes on in chapter 20 and verse 5 and says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draw them out. You know, what, you, what goes on in your mind is deep. But when you have a friend who can draw out whatever it is that is going on in your life, that is a true friend. He goes on in chapter 20 and verse 6 to say, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find, a faithful friend, well, they are more valuable than anything else. Or Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 9, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Or the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. It's better than being alone and stuck in your own thoughts. Proverbs 27 verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, so people sharpen the edge of their friends. Many women wish their husbands had better friendships. Uh, men tend to choose their friendships the same way that they uh, watch television and Netflix. Oh, I don't like this one. Let's move on to the next one. After 40, we find that men tend not to make new friends. And the really sad part about that, the reality of life, is that the friends that they do have begin to move away or even begin to die. Uh, we've moved into a place in the world, uh, not just with men, but just society in general. When, when, when it comes to friendship, we tend to network instead of love. Uh, we hook up instead of caring. Uh, we prioritize instead of spending time. But you see, to have people who stand by you, who stand with you over the long haul, to whom you can express yourself freely and confidently and in confidence, knowing that they're not going to speak out of turn about anything that you have shared with them, to have people like that who will stand with you, who will stand in your corner, well, it is a great treasure and a wonderful reward. Of course, every friendship, every genuine friendship has difficulties as well as joys. Because a real friend doesn't just affirm me and affirm my choices. They help me to grow and to become a better person. 
If it's a Christian friendship, they help me to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. Uh, they call out from me, in me my bad habits, my uh, sinfulness, uh, and then they call me to holiness. Uh, they call me to transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friendships are never simple and they're never straightforward. Uh, they really are, like C.S. Lewis says, the least natural of all loves, the least instinctive. They go against so many things in us, and yet they are so vitally important. Now, why mention all of this when we come to Acts chapter 15? Well, it's because as we leave Acts chapter 15, where the gospel of God's grace has been grasped with greater clarity, it now works itself out in this little bridging section through a collection of friendships. What God is doing and people's relationships come together and everything moves and revolves around the gospel. It's kind of like taking some metal shavings and putting it on top of a piece of paper, or putting some light metal things and then taking a magnet and moving it underneath. Uh, the, the, the gospel is the magnet, moving these metal filings, moving these uh, relationships underneath. And we're looking in this passage to see what God is doing through these relationships, through these friendships. Now these two short stories that we have in this little section are about how the gospel worked itself out in these friendships. And on the surface, we might look at these and go, oh my goodness, these are complete disasters. But we need to dig a little bit below the surface to work out what's going on actually. One of the hardest parts of living out our Christian faith is always going to be around relationships and relational conflict that takes place inside of a church, especially a church that is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's dive in and have a quick look at these stories and see what we can make of it, see what we can learn about friendship, see what it is that Luke's trying to help us to understand. So Paul says in chapter 15 to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. You can go back and look at that in Acts chapter 13 and see what happened there. So Mark starts on the journey. He then deserts just a little ways into it. And Paul says, listen, he can't come with us again. Barnabas says, hey, look, I really want to take him. I think he'd be good for us. And a sharp dispute arose. You know, this wasn't just a disagreement over coffee. This got heated. I don't think there was a punch-up, but that's kind of the idea that's putting up, being put out here. There, there was a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas were agreed on the strategy about going and strengthening the church and making sure that they were encouraged. The churches that they planted back in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And although they agreed on the strategy, they couldn't agree on who should go along. And Luke doesn't hide the disagreement, which ultimately leads to this separation of friends. Paul and Barnabas had been together for maybe five years. Barnabas had been the one who welcomed Paul into the Christian faith in the first place. He had made the introductions. He had vouched for Paul. You couldn't have gotten a tighter friendship and a better ministry partnership than Paul and Barnabas. And yet here, they have a complete relational bust-up 
over John, who's also called Mark. This is the same Mark, by the way, who would go on to write uh, the Gospel of Mark that we have in our New Testaments. And so what happens? They disagreed, and they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers. They both parties were commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, and he went to Syria and Cilicia, and strengthening the churches. Now, in the writing of all this, no judgment is passed on either company. So what do we take from what transpired here? Well, a couple of things. Number one, good came out of the separation, because where there was one gospel team of two people, now there were two gospel teams of four, and others that perhaps they took with them. Uh, the church uh, supported both. Uh, personalities do not need to get in the way of gospel ministry. Opinions, in fact, don't need to get in the way of gospel ministry. It wasn't that one was right and the other was wrong. It was just that Paul felt very strongly because of where he was going, because of what he was going to do, because of his personality, because of his giftedness, that Mark was the wrong person to take with him. Barnabas, who had a different personality, had a different opinion. Barnabas Earlier on in Acts, he's the son of encouragement. He doesn't want to give up on John Mark just yet. And so he takes John Mark with him. And it is interesting, and we'll come back to this in just a second, to see the trajectory that John Mark's life then follows. Once again, what we see here is that the word spread, that God is continuing to direct and enable and multiply uh, the messengers who are doing the work and the ministry of the kingdom. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas took Mark and they sailed for Cyprus, and they did the same thing. They strengthened the churches. We need to recognize that in the aftermath of fruitful ministry, we sometimes stumble on our own shortcomings. But what we discover in those moments is that the gospel advances and the church grows not through our power, not through our holiness, but through the name of Jesus. We also see that there are times when we can collaborate and there are times when collaborations in ministry do come to an end. That reminds us that people are not the hero of the gospel story. Jesus is the hero, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and not on people. It also shows us that God uses sinful servants, and that never excuses the sin, but it does always glorify God's grace. Now, on that note, let me say this about Mark. Uh, Paul did not write Mark off as a Christian, but he wasn't prepared to allow Mark to go with him as part of this team because of what had happened previously. Uh, Mark was from a wealthy house in Jerusalem. His mother owned uh, a large amount of property there. In actual fact, it's likely that the Last Supper took place at her house. Uh, it's almost absolutely definite uh, that she is the one in Acts 11, 12, when Peter goes off to the house, it goes to her house. Uh, so Mark's from a very well-to-do family, and you almost have this picture that, that in, in Acts 13, it gets too hard, and he just wants to run back home to mom. Now, Paul doesn't slag him off as not being a Christian. He isn't suitable for this particular ministry because 
His service was conditional. The Christian life calls for consistency. And what Paul is saying is that Mark hasn't grown up yet. He isn't able to be consistent, and so we can't count on him. It's not that his faith was at issue, but rather his courage. And that at the key moment of decision, his courage might fail. And Paul couldn't take that chance where he was going. Although Acts now moves away from Mark's story, we are actually able to piece together a few of the things that happened after this. And I find them personally to be a huge encouragement. So here are a couple of the experiences uh, that we have playing out. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. So that means he was now with Paul when he's writing this letter to the Christians in Colossae. Concerning whom, this is concerning Mark, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So already, that's a big change from what you've got going on here. Then, in Philemon, verse 23, we read, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. Now, Mark is counted amongst Paul's co-workers. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, which was the last letter that Paul wrote, he knows he's going to be executed. He says this, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Bring Mark with me. It's striking, isn't it? The trust and the friendship that Paul now has with Mark later on in his life. After Paul died, Mark would go back to Jerusalem to work with Peter, and the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter speaking and Mark writing the words. And what I'd love you to go do is read Mark chapter 14 from about verse 50, and it tells this little story about a young man uh, who, when the disciples deserted Jesus in the, in the garden before he was crucified, there was a young man who wore uh, a linen robe, and he kind of stayed with Jesus and followed. Then he was spotted, and he ran off, and he actually runs away naked. And all of the early church fathers are quite certain that that was actually Mark. And that was Mark actually sharing that story as his confession, because he also, just like Peter, would desert Jesus. But here's the point that I'm making. More often than not, it is in the most difficult circumstances that God opens our heart to growth and effectiveness and to creativity. It's in those moments when we see who we are and who God is. We learn more from our failures than from our successes. And I think that this is really Paul being a true friend to both Barnabas and to Mark by saying, No, Mark, you can't come. There's some growing up that you need to do. And Mark was able to go away, and all of that growing up happened. And so that at the end of Paul's life, he can say, he's my fellow co-worker, and I actually want Mark to be with me. He goes on, he gives us the Gospel of Mark, which many of us have studied, and through which many of us have even become Christians. So that's a little bit of the story of Mark. And friends, that is why we need true friends who will help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hands of God and to seek His help. 
I wonder if there, are you a Paul to a Mark? And are you prepared to, ha to have a Paul and to be a Mark? Are you working uh, at friendships uh, like this? Are you recognizing what God is doing uh, through the gospel, through your friendships? Another friendship crops up. And again, this one looks like a disaster. So the first one, friendships blow up, people part company. Paul has just come from this council in Jerusalem that says, hey, people don't have to be circumcised to become Christians. And what does he do? Well, he goes and he gets Timothy circumcised as an adult. So what's going on here? Well, he heads back to Lystra. It's five years after he'd been there. And, and, and Timothy's there. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, verse 3. So he circumcised him. Now, what you got to understand there is that all the Jews knew that his father was a Greek. And because Timothy wasn't circumcised, he would have been considered an apostate Jew. Uh, Timothy, who lived with his Jewish mother and his father was a Greek, the believers at Lystra concerning Timothy, they spoke well of him. All right, so, so here was a man well spoken of. And yet, when we do a little bit of the backstory on Timothy, uh, we actually discover quite a lot about him. Uh, that he wasn't the most obvious person to take on a big trip to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Timothy, in a couple of New Testament passages, is referred to as sickly, shy, timid, and shrinking back from difficulty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, uh, Paul writes, Put him at ease. He sounds more angular and shy than anything else. And yet Paul would say to Timothy, See that no one despises you for your youth. See that no one despises you because you are doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Paul saw something in Timothy that I don't think anyone else might have seen. But God used him in amazing and great ways. What was it that this guy had going for him? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that he was well spoken of. When Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy, which is a letter to Timothy and a letter about church leaders, he begins the list about leaders uh, with this, that a leader must be above reproach. And he ends that list with a leader must be well thought of by outsiders. What was Timothy? Well, he was well spoken of by everyone. Uh, Paul got him circumcised because he wanted to remove any offense and take away any reason that people would have not to listen to the message about Jesus Christ. Now, there's something in there for us to learn as well, to make sure that we also remove any barrier that might hinder or get in the way of people coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those, those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in 
its blessings. That was what was at the heart of what Paul was doing with Timothy. And I think, friends, that wherever we find ourselves as individuals, as we think about our giftedness or our lack of giftedness, or our own struggles within ourselves, we need to be reminded of the unstoppable nature of the kingdom of God. COVID has not stopped the spread and growth of the kingdom. The door is always open somewhere. Paul highlights the need for flexibility in such matters where we can exercise freedom. We have freedom to partake in and we have freedom to refrain from. Two doors can be open at the same time. Paul here is concerned for both Jew and for all of the nations. And so Timothy circumcised so as not to offend the Jews that they will come into contact with because he wants to win them. And it makes no difference to the nations whether or not Timothy is circumcised. That doesn't form a barrier in any way to the message of the gospel. I cannot think of anything finer, and there is nothing with deeper potential for our friendships in this life and in the life to come than seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. When we do that, it enables us to see other people as God sees them, to serve them, to give to them as God does. When the gospel is clear and Christ Jesus is the center, it has enormous potential. Our friendships are attracted to Jesus Christ. We grow in the faith, not just in faith, but in the, in the faith. You see that in 16 verses 4 and 5. The grace of God creeps out through our friendships. It infiltrates our friendships. It transforms our friendships. It makes our friendships to be the place and the channel of the blessing of God, of the grace of God, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. Friends, what can you take with you into eternity? Only two things. Your soul and the souls of others. So let me ask you this. As we see how God is growing his kingdom and spreading the message, the saving message of Jesus Christ in the world, and we see that happening one person at a time, through one friendship at a time, and as we take away all that we've seen in the friendships in these two little stories in the book of Acts, let me ask you this. Number one, do you have this kind of friendship with Jesus Christ? Are you in a personal relationship with him? Are you walking with him day by day, speaking with him, praying to him, listening to him as he speaks to you in his word? Are you growing in that friendship? And is that friendship uh, a place where you derive uh, joy and comfort and purpose? And if it's not, why don't you drop me a message? Why don't you uh, get hold of me? I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a friend of Jesus. And if that friendship's broken for some reason, get hold of me and let's talk about how it is that we can uh, mend that and bring it back into a place where it's bringing meaning and wonder into your life again. But then let me also ask you this. What kind of friend are you? Are you a Paul to a Mark? And do you have a Paul in your life that you are a Mark to? You know, that idea of having an older person in your life who is mentoring and discipling you and having a younger person in your life 
who is mentoring and discipling and speaking into your life. That a friend uh, sticks closer than a brother. The wise friend sticks closer than a brother. Do you have that person in your life? Uh, who is able to not just say the good and the wonderful and encouraging things, but also the hard and the difficult things to encourage you to grow in Jesus Christ. Will you be that friend, ready to give and ready to receive as though it was from the hand of God? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for friendship. We give you thanks that when we were far off, you came close, and that through the cross, we are able to be friends with God. We thank you for the gift of friendship in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be the friends that you want us to be, and help us to see the people in our lives to whom you are calling us to be friends. And may we pursue them with a gospel intentionality. And we ask this in Jesus' name.